啊啊啊啊啊啊啊啊啊啊 Welcome to the Evil Podcast of Evil, the only show where I, Tyler Boudreaux, mess up the recording process in an attempt to talk about our favorite web series, Dr. Horrible's Sing Along Blog, one segment at a time. And I'm joined by my sister and beloved co host, Condra Boudreaux. Aww. Oh, what's my tag for today? I didn't think about this. Um, Sorceress of Evil? Oh, are, are you like Maleficent? No, I'm more like Hakate. Okay. We're also joined by uh, our good friend, uh, Brad Mendenhall. Um, Brad, I wasn't able to find what you were from, so uh, tell us all about that. Hey, everybody. Uh, yeah, This is Brad Mendenhall. I am the host and co-founder of the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, the uh, positive geek culture podcast where we talk about everything from movies, books, podcasts, music, um, basically everything, but we try not to be jerks about it. We like that. I love that. Yeah, well, you know, it's it, it's funny, and you guys are are just sort of doing something similar where you're talking about uh, Dr. Harbaugh's sing along blog because you love it, and I'm a big believer in that because it's amazing how many podcasts are out there where it seems like the people hate the subject that they're talking about. It's like, then why are you doing it? Um, <laughs> Spite. Uh, I am also the producer of the uh, Escape from New York Minute podcast, and I've been around. So, uh, but really excited about this. I love this. I love Dr. Horrible Sing Along blog so much, and I'm so glad to be joining you guys. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, the first so question. So we usually start. Go ahead, Condra. No. No, you. Fine. <laughs> uh, so, Brad, we usually start out with having you tell us a little bit about your history with Dr. Horrible, and you were already trying to do that before we started recording, so... Now we're recording. Go. Yeah, don't, be free. Don't waste a good conversations when no one can hear us, because then what's the point? Um, <laughs> what's the point of having conversations if you're not recording it? That's what I say. Exactly. Which, yes. Um, <laughs> so, for me, I was a big Joss Whedon fan. Uh, loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Loved the Angel. Um, was a fan of Firefly. Uh, Serenity, one of my favorite movies. And when I saw that he was doing this, I was really intrigued. But you didn't know what you were going to get. And especially because Joss Whedon had dabbled in musicals before he did the musical episode of Buffy, and he's very upfront about how he's a big fan of musicals. Uh, but what was different, what was really intriguing was I love superhero stuff, and this was a neat parody of that. And also you wondered what he could, Joss Whedon could do with Neil Patrick Harris, because Neil Patrick Harris is a legit Broadway star. And as opposed to when he did Buffy, where it was, okay, we're going to take people who aren't really musical performers and make them sing. And that worked in the context of that. But it's like, oh, what's he going to be able to do with this? And I loved it because uh, I, I watched it as it came out. Uh, like, I think it was weekly. They released each of the three parts. And I was just really excited about it. And it was very Joss Whedon uh, as, you know, it ended it in a way that only Joss Whedon would end something like this because it, it starts off as a lark. And there's some darkness to it because he was never afraid to do that. And uh, Neil Patrick Harris was brilliant. And you could see, wow, Just Whedon really ha- must have had so much fun with somebody who actually knows how to not just having a good voice, which is something I'm sure we can talk about this episode, but also knows how to sell a song and uh, re- really great stuff. So uh, I've been waiting for someone to want to talk about this in this format. And I'm so glad that you guys uh, let, let me join the fun. Yeah, thank you so much. I love the enthusiasm. I guess 
something we should get out of the way is what exactly we're talking about in Dr. Horrible for this episode, which is uh, basically it's comprised of the song My Eyes, or as my friend Jane called it while we were talking about it earlier, uh, she believes it's called On the Rise. Yeah, she believes it's called On the Rise. And I was like, Jane, it's called My Eyes. No one calls it On the Rise. And she was like, people on the internet call it My Eyes or On the Rise. And I was like, no, they don't. Uh, So that was an anecdote. Uh, (laughs) This is my favorite song in the whole series. Yeah. So to get that out of the way, too. Sorry, just to get the minute stamp, it's 1347 to 1645. And sorry, Brad, you can go ahead. No, no problem. I think it's it's definitely... Uh, Harris's best vocal performance. It's the best singing. Because, um, mm-hmm. and, it's, and, I, and it was sort of eye-opening for me when I saw it the first time because I knew Neil Patrick Harris was a good, was a Broadway performer and, again, could sell a song real well. But this was this was a song that really showed me, it's like, oh, he actually is a legit good singer. It's not just that Broadway wanted Doogie Howser to be in the show and so the cast went <laughs> rent. No, he he's a re- he has a good voice, and this and also uh, he was on an episode of Glee that Joss Whedon directed, where he sang uh, Aerosmith's "Dream On," and he really belted that out too. Uh, it, it was um, eye opening for me. Yeah, I mean, not to bury the lead, but uh, I mean, what's impressive about this song is kind of you have the Neil Patrick Harris and Felicia Day each kind of are are singing the same melody, but their own two different perspectives, and then they for the kind of the third bit, they're both singing their perspectives at the same time. So you get something I love, which is just kind of this classic musical, like dialectic harmony type thing, which is just absolutely wonderful. It's very Greece-esque. It's summer nights of Greece. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, musically it's a <laughs> tell trope me that more, we... Tell me more, did he have a paddle boat? <laughs> <laughs> it's a trope that Whedon obviously has a great deal of affection for, because he did it in the first minute at the end with... Um, when you had uh, Hammer, Felicia uh, Day, and uh, Horrible all singing at the same time, which great how they, he layered it. Uh, he also did it with one of the songs from the musical mm-hmm. episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, it's yeah, and, and it's really effective. And it can be tricky because it's not easy to listen. To. It, if done poorly, it's hard to listen to that. But he was very good at giving them each their own distinct voice Definitely. and also making sure the lyrics were simple enough that you can sort of get the story that each singer is presenting. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, my favorite part of this segment of the show is not even the singing. It's uh, the the cold open after the uh, the little bit of episode title sequence where it says episode two, and it's just a just a, a Neil Patrick Harris's dead stare into his blog camera, and he's just kind of he's got he's, he's got so nothing sad. in his face. He's absolutely barren. <laughs> Uh, unlike unlike the sting at the very end of the entire show, where he like looks visibly sad, this one he just looks like nothing. There's nothing on his face. See, I read it as a complete like crushed. He is like emotionally destroyed and like. Oh yeah. It, it's I see I still see emotion on his face here. It's not so much completely well, devoid the, of the the emotionality emotion. of like shock and lack of emotion. I guess. Uh, there was a term a friend of mine likes to throw around, uh, gobsmacked. It's like, oh, he's it's like yes. he is completely gobsmacked. It's, there's emotion there, but it's just – he's just almost frozen in how the heck did this just happen and not even be able to form the words to express it. 
and it's interesting, like, if you, and I've watched Dr. Horrible many, many times, and you sort of pick up a different emotion each time because it's so, it's, it's sort of blank, yet there's something behind it. So, you know, at first it's just funny because, you know, it's obviously leading into the song. But then it's like, oh, but it's actually heartbreaking because you do see the pain in that blank stare. It's, uh, it's an impressive little bit of physical acting from Harris. And I think metatextually it kind of communicates the film language of, okay, in the first episode we set up that this is his blog. So, like, it's important that we still kind of establish that, like, he is he does this thing where he logs into his computer and he does his blog. Except in this case, he's just staring blankly at it. And then, okay, we establish that. Let's cut away to the action, which is in the song. I think if we think about the whole series as him in his blog recounting these tales it's kind of got this very cool layered element to it because we have the the dream sequences like in the beginning and we have these sequences where we actually see other people's perspectives it's it's kind of i don't know how to describe it i feel like i've seen it before in other things Maybe like the Uncle Iroh episode of Avatar The Last Airbender, where he's telling the story, but you also get everyone else's perspective. Like the... the, the, the What's that? Uh, Rashashanan? Rashomon? Oh, Rashomon. Thank you. I can never pronounce it right. <laughs> and it's not Rashashana, which is the uh, Hebrew New Year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, fair. Um, Something like yeah, that. Well, <laughs> You're right, Condor, though. It is definitely some sort of setup of, like, this question of, like, like, when we're viewing the show, like, is it objectively, like, is it, like, an objective omniscient narrator? Not not narrator, but, like, is the camera Billy's eyes or is the camera anyone's eyes? And especially when you're considering the fact that it's a musical, so it's like, okay, is the music actually happening or is it kind of like this imaginary thing in his head? And I think the association with the blog, because the last time he we saw him blogging and there was the dream sequence, that music was definitely in his head versus the end of Act One, where it was in scene to more some to yeah. more extent. So is this because we're being framed in the blog again? Is this a dream sequence and him creepily stalking Penny? Well, is that a dream sequence? I like your idea of. Everything that we see is actually his recap of what happened in real life. So he's just kind of like, and then Penny was sitting in the sitting in the soup kitchen, and she was like, "I cannot believe my," but I was like, "I cannot believe my eyes." And like he's singing like both the parts, and he's like really making a production out of it. Yeah, it's it's interesting trying to figure out the reality of uh, of Doctor Horrible, um, and. I guess maybe the mystery sort of comes a little bit together in the the final third because there's you actually have scenes where horrible isn't singing and isn't even on isn't even on screen until the big reveal, um, yeah. and of course it becomes it's mm-hmm. like oh is that just a speech? It, I guess it's partially it's just a thing where uh, subsequent viewings and I'm sure people can have many arguments probably have. Where, you know, is all this the blog? Is this all in Horrible's head? Or is this just the universe that this takes place in where, okay, people just break into song in this world? Yeah, and in general, people are never like, oh, it doesn't make sense. Like, is it a musical? Is it not a musical? Make up your mind. Like, 
even in a movie like Blues Brothers, where they just really like like to stretch that reality, like people get it. Like it's not like it's never a problem. It's called a sing-along <laughs> blog. <laughs> Music's implied. Well, and also, and it's I think part of the charm of Doctor Horrible is this was when it came out, the stakes of it were so low because um, it was. Basically, it was just Joss Whedon and his friends. They wanted to do a musical, and they did it on the cheap. I believe it was while there was a uh, Hollywood writer strike going on. Right. So it was, it was really a bunch of people out of work looking for something to do to spare the time before you know uh, Harris could go back to the next season of How I Met Your Mother, and uh, Fillion could go back to um, hating his co-star on Castle. <laughs> and and this idea that like the internet was kind of this unexplored field of content. Where it was like YouTube videos at this point were like, like not even like a lot of daily bloggers. Well, yeah, well, yeah either people doing blogs or just kind of like, ta- like taking home videos and kind of uploading them. Like in terms of like what we know of YouTube of is now is of like produced videos and like like actual content. Like that's not what YouTube was back then. It was people just uploading what like whatever happened in their lives and. That was the humor. Or their film right. school yeah. projects. Uh, there was, I think, everybody knew someone at that time who had, and it's still, YouTube's still filled with people like this, but now there's so much more uh, production opportunities. But just, I remember I, I met a guy uh, going into the Wayback Machine in a bookstore um, who saw <laughs> me, like, perusing the graphic novels. And he's like, oh, you, and it was a guy that worked there. He's like, oh, you, you like comics. You like graphic novels. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, and he like handed me his card because he was a Borders bookstore employee by day. By at night, he would review comics, uh, comic-related toys, whatever. And all it was was, and it was very similar to what Dr. Harble, except for you could see the microphone. And it was just a guy where he's, he's like, hey, this is Jason, and uh, I really like this toy. And he would hold up the toy of you know, the new version of Daredevil or whatever. And he's like, and then there's this. And he would hold up a comic. And, you know, as time went on. And he was the, the first superhero. Yeah. The the idea was still there. You, you see it currently with a lot of podcasts. But now they can sort of have better production and music and graphics behind them. I, there was one that had a green screen. It's like, okay, you, okay, all right. That, well, that works. and you can monetize YouTube videos now. and right. So this is very much taking that. I'm sure it was a thing of Joss Whedon saw was presented with a couple of these videos. He's like, "How? But what if it was a superhero?" And which is a, a neat conceit. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to kind of go through some of these shots and moments that we enjoy throughout the segment? Please. I besides the kind of deadpan stare into the camera, I like the what we what we cut to, which is Neil Patrick Harris kind of walking mm-hmm. through the streets. And it's interesting because we get some camera movement here. The mo- the camera's kind of walking with him, which is pretty good because uh, for much of the rest of the show, it's been kind of like sitcom-y kind of camera angles. And in this in this instance, we get kind of a, a more film camera technique. Yeah, it's it's almost like the first part was the wacky zany and... This minute, there's a little bit – it's still sort of – you still sort of get some of the wacky zany stuff with uh, Hammer. But Horrible is actually is really angry and heartbroken. And you might just start 
perhaps seeing a little bit of the danger of the character just in that walk because uh, Neil Patrick Harris can he can do a good angry face. Oh, the evil inside of him is on the rise. I don't know if you heard. I I did hear. Uh, yeah, but but not so much that the song is on the rise. So I caught that as well. Oh, the song. Yeah, the song is called "My Eyes," not on the rise. Thank you. I take on. I don't know if it's just me being a younger female that had lived in a city for a few years, but when I would go into the city and like have to walk around, I would kind of take on this like Doctor Horrible aesthetic walking around. Like kind of angry, not not like super outwardly aggressive, but also like there's a sense of hostility. I've heard other people say it like walk like Charlize Theron. Like I don't know if it was like safety reasons that I did this, or if I was just like, yes, this is me in a city. But I always found that like I took on that kind of persona and like that aggressiveness that even like the homeless folks that are standing behind him when he does that fade into the darkness, like, they look at him kind of funny and concerned. It's like a persona, kind of. I I relate to, the, I really just, the scene, like, means a lot to me in a, in a lot of elements. I think it's got some good gags in it. I think it has some very strong camera work, and the lyrics of the song are very effective. So you basically I mean, had your gang face, is what you're saying. One, one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you were you were walking around snapping your fingers. Um, I'm not part of West Side Story. A, I mean, it is. I, Condra, I I will agree with you. It's fun to kind of like walk around like uh, there's a song in my head, and I'm like serious, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill someone hypothetically, not realistically. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree that that like that mood is very fun to walk around in. Kind of like he's got like a hoodie on. He doesn't have the hood on, but he's like hands are in his pockets. He's like. Ugh. Daring yeah. someone to, to approach him. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Oh my other yeah, the the extreme version of that would be um, Sweeney Todd when he's out on the street threatening people. <laughs> yep. It's uh, really on the other side of the spectrum Definitely. to uh, John Travolta's uh, strut walk at the end of uh, Staying Alive. Oh, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I, Staying Alive was a sequel. Oh, oh. Okay, I but didn't know I, that Staying Alive I believe they probably me. both had strutting scenes in them. I, I knew the song he's walking to was Staying Alive, so I didn't know what. Okay. I got yes. you. I'm with you. Or Spider-Man 3 <laughs> when he's dancing. <laughs> or no, better yet, Spider-Man 2 when he doesn't have his powers and he eats the hot dog. Oh, uh, to, to, to the raindrops, raindrops keep, keep falling, falling on my head. My head. <laughs> uh, I love that movie. If that movie wasn't good, that's the only scene we would be talking about. It's comparably well, ridiculous to the dancing scene. Eh, not quite as bad, but yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's the no, dancing it's scene in Spider-Man bad. 3. It's like the same thing, yeah. It's not quite as bad, but yeah, if Spider-Man the- 2 had been bad, we'd all be mocking that scene. I, I mean, I think we'd, we'd praise Alfred Molina still. We'd be like, uh, Alfred Molina, so good. The rest of that movie, oof. But... You're right. It's not bad. It's one of the best comic book movies ever made. So, completely agree. Well, off track as I'm known to do. Uh, yeah, I mean Spider-Man Two. Quite frankly, all they needed was that scene where Doctor Octopus's tentacles came to life and went after the surgery, the the surgical. Oh, group. in the in the operating room. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. After that, it's like, well, this movie's good. <laughs> you can't have what? a movie with a scene that good and then it be bad. <laughs> well, I and. 
not that we're that far off topic, Brad, because we spent a lot of time talking about how Dr. Horrible kind of is living out the kind of Spider-Man trope of, like, living your normal life and getting the girl versus, like, getting your superhero professional life really in order. And so, yeah. yeah Any yeah. thoughts you know, there? No, well, this is this is definitely, I think, a pretty good argument can be made that Dr. Horrible is Peter Parker if basically the same guy except for he decided to be evil instead of good. But up to this point, he doesn't even really – he's not really evil. He's definitely Silver Age comic book bad guy evil where, okay, he's well, going to hold you – know, like he's going to hold the city ransom with a giant uh, evil pumpkin. You don't even know what the pumpkin has- does. He has a letter of condemnation from the deputy mayor. I don't know if you know this. Yes, yes. That's quite <laughs> frankly, I think uh, you could get that by littering. <laughs> uh, um, but someone should yes. try and find so, out. <laughs> funny story. Wait. I was actually driving behind someone today, and they threw their coffee cup out the side window, and I was so mad. I was like, "Really? We're we're, we're still doing this?" As like, a, it's 2019, people. Yeah. We live in a society. Yeah, come on. I, I I would have recommended that guy for a letter of uh, condemnation. Yeah. So we we move on from any like any comments on what Neil, like Neil Patrick Harris is singing part. He's like looking through the window at Felicia Day and Nathan Fillion having their dinner, and then we kind of transition to the Felicia Day. Any comments as we transition here? The fade out is such a mood. Him walking yeah. into darkness. <laughs> yeah. Big mood. And then you can see that, yeah, the, the people around the trash can fire behind him. That's a, it's a good touch. This is such a well-directed and well-choreographed. Joss Whedon knows how to move the camera and get the most out of it because this is a, a micro-budgeted project and uh, still it had a great cinematic feel with all these scenes because it, it could this could have so easily been and it could have been very entertaining as – Literally the whole thing, just him doing the video block. They didn't need to actually leave that room, and they could have still made an interesting production. Yeah. Uh, which was sort of what I was expecting Definitely. it to be when I saw it the first time. I, I was uh, pleasantly surprised when it wasn't just uh, NPH sort of recounting stuff and singing and maybe having a guest on per episode. I mean, it could have been basically very bottle episode like, Moist walks in in the background and says, hey, like, what's going on? And then they, like, have a conversation, and then he, they, like, it's in the background. Yeah, that makes sense. It was uh, actually really impressive how much uh, Whedon got from very little uh, when it comes to budget and sets and everything. Um, because, yeah, it, the, the camera work was excellent. So, so, yeah, we transition to Felicia and Nathan Feeling, or I guess Penny and Captain Hammer, eating their little dinner in the soup kitchen, homeless shelter, whatever, kind of building this is it's kind of unstated caring hands yeah well yeah it's presumably another one of the caring hands facilities but not the not the one that she's getting the signatures for because they haven't gotten that yet so really um now days she's not a singer right i mean and neither is fillion but we're very good at getting the most out of non-singers in in his work because she sounds great. It, it's not a challenge. I don't think it's a particularly challenging part he gave her. And uh, Felicia Day is the perfect penny. You see her. She, she, that's exactly who she should be. That's exactly what she should look like. And uh, the, way she, the way she brings the character to life. 
and uh, so you don't mind that she she may not be uh, Adele. Uh, singing ability, and also I think it was very smart giving her this song to have. She's sort of like the baseline for Neil Patrick Harris. He's the one who, singing wise, does the heavy lifting. He's the one that riffs off of her. I, mean, I like I like the idea that you mentioned that like no one else could have played Penny's part because I like the idea if we're interpreting Doctor Horrible as kind of this incel character that the girl he's fallen for is like a gamer girl and not like. Like, I mean, Felicia Day is beautiful, but, like, she's not, like, your traditional Hollywood, like, leading actress. Yeah, if, if it was Kelly – what was it? Kelly Kuko from um, uh, Big Bang Theory, I don't think it would have worked as well to have a knockout in that role. It, it's someone you could legitimately see her and Neil Patrick Harris – or her and Horrible walking down the street holding hands. He's not shooting so far out of his league. Um, On, on the topic of Felicia Day, how about them gloves – those are my favorite. <laughs> she is secretly an emo trash <laughs> child. I no, and going back to what you were saying about Penny just being uh, Felicia Day being like a very relatable, like perfect Penny. I think that's kind of what sells this so much for me because I mean, you have the stereotypical hyper masculine in Nathan Fillion, and then you have the kind of nerdy gamer nerd that is uh nph is like billy side of him uh that's incredibly socially awkward and then you have this kind of middle ground penny that she's kind of a very girl next door-esque it's in a way that she is very caring and i i don't know if i'd go like full gamer girl because she goes outside and like is able to have conversations with people I mean, like, Felicia Day in real life where she's, like, where she, like, has this very, like, her she has this nerdy persona, which isn't gamer girl, you're correct, but it's, like, okay, like, she does D&D, like, you, like you can tell that she has these interests. She's passionate about oh, what yeah. she's into. Like, she has a passion to her. And, like, even that comes out here, like, Penny is passionate about trying to raise the fun, like, raise the ability to get the homeless shelter and... She becomes very involved in uh, Captain Hammer's world and utilizes that to her advantage in some respects. Yeah. And even she becomes a very good friend to Billy. There's She's a very neutral... She's just kind. And I think Felicia Day is genuinely kind, too. Like, everything I see of her, she's just, like, a very down-to-earth, happy, like... I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much of that is true and how much of it is her putting that in what she chooses to put in the public eye, but she's, she's very present in the world. Well, and I think it's important that we kind of analyze this, like her character and not just kind of um, dismissively talk about her uh, looks as we might get drawn to do, but talk about like her perspective as voiced in this song that she's singing, where she is really this like pure good character, maybe to maybe that's her fatal flaw is that she is naive but she has this pure belief in the goodness of mankind such that uh she's the exact opposite of dr horrible and that she creates and that the combination of her captain hammer and dr horrible creates this interesting character balance Uh, like if it was an alignment chart she'd be lawful good captain hammer would be um lawful evil and Dr. Horrible would be chaotic evil. 
Well, she, yeah, she's she's definitely the only good guy in Doctor Horrible. I mean, uh, Neil Patrick um, Horrible. You know, he's yeah, he's sort of an incel. He's sort of a guy who thinks he's a good guy. He, it's funny. He's not as much of a bad guy as he thinks he is, but he's also not as much of a good guy as he thinks he is. He he doesn't really deserve her. He doesn't even understand her. Um, he, he just places this person that he sees in the laundromat on a pedestal. Um, and then Doc, uh, Captain Hammer, he's not a good guy. He's he's the biggest, strongest guy, and he sort of fights crime because why not? But you can see he doesn't really care. Uh, the first thing he does is he leaps to save Penny, but then he shoves her aside, and you know she, he could have broken her neck the way he did it because he's a big, clumsy buffoon who doesn't really face any real danger. Uh, have you guys seen uh, the Amazon series The Boys? Uh, no. No. Um, there's a character who's a Superman sort of parable, uh, uh, Homelander, who's very similar. He's a good guy, but not because of moral fortitude, but because he's just, he just sort of got talked into, hey, if you're going to kill somebody, kill bad guys. And you can sort of see a similarity between that and Hammer, where he's sort of just parroting what good guys say. But throughout this minute... Fillion doesn't have any lines, but he's very good at portraying him as <laughs> a guy who doesn't want to be touched, doesn't really want anyone to, t- to talk to him. He doesn't w- really want any interaction with uh, the homeless. Uh, he's he's sort of grossed out by all this. If he's not having fun beating up uh, Horrible or w- whatever other bad guys around, then he's not interested. And even him playing out the, oh, I'm going to benefit from this in another way, uh, by being with Penny right now, I will benefit from this, so I'm going to just push it out until I can get what I want from it. it it's very self-centered and egotistical, and his his motives are, are self-centered. One uh, little moment that I really liked in, in the homeless shelter, I realized it wasn't probably until the second time I saw this, uh, because it was very focused on uh, Penny seeing and the, her interaction with Hammer, that uh, Horrible did the subtle sort of... The soup gag? Oh, that was so yeah. great. <laughs> My favorite part about that, so yeah, he switches, like he he enters the kind of background of the shot and becomes the person pouring the soup. My favorite part of that is that he's not even pouring the soup into the bowl. He's just pouring it back into the pot. And he hands an empty bowl <laughs> to someone waiting yeah. in line, and the person just looks at him and is like, really? <laughs> Giving the death stare completely... In- and it's a nice little encapsulation of the character where he's so obsessed on Penny and so filled with anger that he can't even do anything competently. Or the idea that being trying to be around Penny put him into the opportunity to do something good for the world, but he's totally wasting that opportunity and making it worse. Also, it's an excellent face, yes. fake mustache. We should all be so lucky to have him a fake mustache like that. We would all get away with everything. <laughs> would we? No, of course not. But he, but it looks good on him. Yeah. It does so then we cut to kind of so Felicia and Neil Patrick Harris singing at the same time, and we get this very like this very like silly version of like Doctor Horrible hiding behind a bush and like walking the bush to spy on them while they're sitting on a park bench. I love that trope. I love the the, the moving bush, uh, <laughs> and it's funny because it, it, 
What I find humorous about it, nobody cares. He's not really sneaking up on anyone. Captain Hammer is not worried about anybody. He's he's an overpowered. He's worried doofus. about those ducks. Yeah, he, he's he's a little freaked out by the ducks because they're approaching him. But you could really probably walk five feet behind him the entire time and he'd never notice. He's so powerful, so strong, so indestructible that it doesn't even occur to him to be worried about anything. And Penny's oblivious. Do you guys think the ducks were like a planned gag or do you think they were just shooting on set and they're like, well, there's ducks in this shot now. And they were like, no, this is perfect. Captain Hammer like is trying to shoo the ducks away, but not trying to like be a jerk so that Penny doesn't notice. Yeah, I have a feeling it was not not on purpose. They wouldn't have hired ducks to and a duck wrangler for this. <laughs> Quack, damn you. <laughs> nice Mythbusters reference, Tyler. Take it back. Yeah. No, I think this park scene is just like, there's lots of little things again, like the emo gloves and the paddle boat that this whole there's a lot the the bush moving there's like a lot of little gags they each get like kind of a, a moment this is this is definitely the cute moment of this song uh, a little bit there was some fun they were able to have some funny business in the soup kitchen um, Harris taking the place of the the, the, the soup guy but th- this is definitely giving a chance for Fillion to to do some business and and do some funny stuff. Yeah, it'd be funny if there's like, all right, let's just go to the park and do stupid stuff and see what we get. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like Nathan Fillion in the paddle boat. Um, super paddling. Am I seeing this right, that he is indeed super paddling? He's definitely super paddling. But he, he's only one person, so he can only go in a circle. <laughs> very, very fast. And, and using the, the oldest thing, is like, all right, let's just speed up the film. It's like, okay, but then the ducks in the scene look like they're super fast, too. It's like, they're super ducks. Let's just go with it. <laughs> I never noticed the ducks. I have a weird thing where I always look for that. Whenever there's a scene where somebody's sped up and is supposed to be, it's like, oh, he runs faster than everyone else. And of course, then everyone else has to, everything else in the scene has to be perfectly still. And it never is. And it can just be <laughs> something is like, he's running fast, and you can see that there's the, the motion of the grass, or the uh, field. Uh, everything like is moving super fast. And it makes me crazy because I can't stop but looking for it. So I notice it's like, oh, <laughs> the, the, the water is rippling real fast and stuff like that i like like in the old westerns when they're like i I, well i'm mostly in blazing saddles when there's like the big brawl scene but everything's kind of sped up so it just looks very playful and adorable exactly yes mel brooks loves to speed up use speed up uh time on his cameras tricks i think it's just a cheap way of doing it if oh definitely yeah think about it like before there was like the like the extra technology that we have now to speed up things so easily it would have been the only way so yeah totally and for Whedon doing it on a tight budget like yeah let's just speed it up a little quicker for this three seconds and make it a gag well and and audiences kind of adjust themselves to the medium they're watching so if you're watching like a cheap film like a cheap online tv series you're not going to be like Oh, that was weird. They did like a weird sped up shot. You'll be like, yeah, that's that's the joke that's appropriate for this medium. I remember what was it? Uh, Anaconda, the Jennifer Lopez movie, where uh, they just didn't very small budgets before she, Jennifer Lopez was J Lo, so they would do her movies were done on the cheap, 
and they were on a boat going through the Amazon, and they couldn't afford to – they just basically ran out of money. So one scene where the boat's supposed to back up to go back into the Amazon, they just just played the scene in reverse. And they say, but the thing is you could tell that they were playing in reverse because if you looked at the nearby waterfall, that water was going up. <laughs> That's awesome. But it's like, okay, but this is basically a B movie anyway, so it actually works better that it's that it's that ridiculous. You you want a little plan 9 from outer space with with, with some of this stuff. I mean, there are a lot of classic movie moments that were shot in reverse. I I can't remember off any off the top of my head, but it's not an uncommon film technique. The psycho blood drain. No, that wouldn't have been in reverse. I'm pretty sure they had to do that in reverse to some extent. The the blood and the drain? No, that's the opposite. No, they part of the, no, part of that scene. I'm I, trying to remember which bit of it. And I've never actually seen psycho. It might have been the the shot after that where you they zoom out on on her eyes and then pan over to the uh, house. It might have been yeah, that shot I think that's where it. they they did that. I don't remember though. I, I mean, there's there's the classic Lumiere Brothers film where they uh, uh they like knock down a wall and then they reverse the film so you can see the wall like getting set back up. That's that was like one of the classic Lumiere Brothers original experiments with film. I the one I remember is. Um, the movie Annie uh, with Carol Burnett. Uh, yes. They went, uh, Annie and Daddy Warbucks and the whole crew went to a movie. And it was um, it was like a big song and dance number with one part of uh, a girl mm-hmm. coming, um, being lifted out of the water. And it was, her hair is dry because that scene was them. It was a shot in reverse or, or they, they show it in reverse. And that would be a lot of things with old-time musicals. They would like to do that because it looks cool that the beautiful woman comes out of the water dry and beautiful. Um, and you can see they have to be very, very still because any motion, and it would give away how they're doing everything backwards. Yeah, so I want, I kind of want to start wrapping up the episode. Is there any other thoughts on kind of this final segment when they're singing in harmony? I guess the... The obvious thing to talk about would be the split screen shot with Billy on the left and Penny on the right and them singing at the same time. And that's just absolutely delightful filmmaking. Well, just one more thing in the park. Penny's almost like lovesick wave to <laughs> yeah. Captain Hammer. She like fell super quickly <laughs> and it's it's really annoying. I mean, Nathan Fillion is pretty dreamy. It, it's very much um, the... What Leah Thompson's character, I can't remember the mom's name in Back to the Future, falling for Marty, Mc- like Marty, because she's playing nurse. It's like one of those, oh, you saved my life. We are eternally grateful. <laughs> kind of like, well, it's so well, you, weird. You also bring up a thing. Is Nathan Fillion a fall in love at first sight with Dreamy? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I would say no, but that's me. I, I, I'm not arguing that he isn't a handsome guy, but he always strikes me as more of a. He's got a lot of charm and sort of a, a fun, snarky appeal. So I, I was. I always thought he would strike. He always struck me as someone who grows on you. I feel like Captain Hammer, though, is one of those instant. Nathan Fillion, probably yes. He's definitely, like, grown on me, and I think he's quirky and adorable, and I really admire him. But 
Captain Hammer is supposed to be that like classically handsome godlike figure. I feel like all you need is for Nathan Fillion to look you in the eyes, and it'll be like you're the only person in the room. I think, okay. I think he's got that power. All right, I I, I, I believe it. I believe it. Listen, I love Nathan <laughs> Fillion. Uh, I I've been I'm like one of three people on the planet that is, that's watching The Rookie. <laughs> Oh, wow. I know. Look at you. And I didn't want to because it looked bad. But then I think it was on after something else I was watching. And I was like, well, I guess I – oh, well, this isn't bad. <laughs> what was I thinking? Um, and a lot of it has to do with his – that sort of quirky charm of his. So, all right, all right, all right. Uh, I, will, I will defer to you guys. I'm more on your boat, I think, and Tyler's very much in his own boat. <laughs> I'm in my own paddle He's boat spinning going circles. in circles. <laughs> Um, so nice callback. Good callback. <laughs> Woo, we nailed it. Uh, split screen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, any comments on the split screen? And then I'll ask my f- classic final question. The split screen is really what solidified me thinking this was Summer Nights from Greece. <laughs> just, just putting it in there like th- this was like, yep, this is the Greece song of this movie. And I think their interaction with each other... In the split screen, so Billy or Doctor Horrible is facing Penny, and Penny's got her yeah. back. There, it it is set up in this way that their their, their posturing tells emotional. Everything. T- yeah, their emotional tension is allied to this their positioning, and it is nothing like the emotional devastation in Doctor Who. So. I'm good with this split screen. <laughs> there's there's one split screen I can't ever see. Well, here's so, the thing. I don't know. Wait. This I shows how sad. different my mentality is from yours because when I see that, it's not even a comparable scene really, but whenever I see the two people sort of back-to-back with a wall between them, all I ever think of is Travolta and Nick Cage in face-off uh, about ready to k- try to kill each other. <laughs> I, I, awesome. Well, two of you picked John Travolta movies, so that's why. Oh, gosh. That's Travolta's thing. <laughs> does he do it in hair? He does it in hairspray oh too. Travolta's thing. Because he has Travolta that sort of split screen thing and Scientology. <laughs> we solved it. Uh, we solved Scientology too. <laughs> um, my my go to for two people on the on either side of a wall is Pyramus and Thisbe, the the predecessor wow. of Romeo and Juliet. Wow, Tyler. Wow. Okay, Brad. Reaching big, way back. Big classics pull there. Brad, kind of the question, and we've, and we've alluded to it already so far, but is there is has Dr. Horrible in 2019 changed for you at all? Kind of in the the, the themes it addresses of like, kind of like, in, like an internet incel type character, uh, it's... the domestic terrorism aspect of it. Anything, any final thoughts there? Yeah, it's, I mean, we, we are now living in a world where there's just a lot of Dr. Horribles, and uh, it's much easier to understand how they're bad guys. It's something that has been around, I mean, it's obviously it's been around for a while, uh, but it's something that we're putting better names to and better understanding of, and you already, we mentioned incels a lot of times. And also just, ah, uh, gosh, if you go on the internet for, or Facebook for a while, eventually you'll see some of these, like, 20 stories of women who found out their nice guys in their lives weren't that nice. Um, <laughs> and that's who he is. He's he's the self-proclaimed nice guy who 
And it's, again, it's funny. It's, it's the weird two sides of Dr. Harville where he's a bad guy and he wants to be a bad guy. He wants to be a major bad guy. But he also thinks he's the good guy that deserves Penny. He And he doesn't even see the hypocrisy of it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're become much more aware of the guys who go through the motions of being the nice guy and he's there and he's like, uh, you know, in your next episode, I'm sure you'll talk about him having the second yogurt for her, which is so nice. He bought her the yogurt. Well, but also think he's like, that's because he's been spying on her and he knows that she likes the yogurt. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. So it's funny. I think if we were to watch this, if we were to watch this in 2019 for the first time, we would realize much more quickly how sort of um, dangerous and malignant horrible is uh, where before because it's Neil Patrick Harris and because we all have had that uh, experience of sort of uh, mooning over the girl or guy in sort of just outside of our orbit that oh we can relate to that and now we can see he's like oh but he's actually he's actually malignant and um, I, th- I think we would probably catch on to that a little sooner Whedon, if he was produced this today, might have to go through a little bit more effort to make him likable or make us not boo him immediately. Although, you know, Neil Patrick Harris is still a really charming performer, so maybe he'd get away with it. I think NPH is really the reason this works. Like, even for me today, I thinking about Dr. Horrible and the world we live in, I get freaked out a lot. And, like, going back to what I was saying earlier about, like, not feeling safe on the street, like, yeah, if Neil Patrick Harris wasn't Dr. Horrible, like, him stalking Penny would sit with me a lot worse, and I would probably hate this a lot more. Yeah, imagine Jake Gyllenhaal as Dr. Horrible. Oh, my God. No. Joaquin Phoenix following him around Uh, singing. (laughs) Run, Penny, run! Exactly. Like, if NPH is kind of the perfect character, and I think part of it is that real-life understanding that he, like, is genuinely, like, a good human and, like, a really nice person, and I think that underlying knowing who NPH is helps settle some of that queasiness that you have with Dr. Horrible's character. And I I just finally thought of this. It just finally came to me. He is a Jekyll and Hyde type, where Hyde is the always the like omnipresent one, and Jekyll comes out only as Billy kind of thing. Oh, okay. So it's the Batman before. trope of like Bruce Bruce Wayne is the mask, and the the villain is the true yeah. his, his 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 true self. Correct. Okay, I dig it. I dig it. All right, let's wrap this up. Brad, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, the Cosmic Geppetto listeners page. Uh, the Cosmic Geppetto podcast is on all your favorite podcatchers. Um, we would love to uh, love for you guys to join the fun. Uh, we have great times. We've uh, talked with actors, musicians, authors, podcasters. Uh, we always have a great time. Uh, we're always positive. We're always talking about stuff that we love, and uh, you know we would um, we would very much appreciate everyone giving us a listen. And uh, also, uh, as I said, I'm the producer of the three times weekly uh, Escape from New York Minute, where we talk about the uh, John Carpenter classic uh, film Escape from New York, starring Kurt Russell. Uh, every now and then, you might hear me a little bit, uh, but I'm behind the scenes uh, pushing the buttons and making sure everything sounds good. So. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's also on all your favorite podcatchers, and uh, you, sh- you should check us out. 
Rad, thanks so much. Uh, Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. I like I like what you say just about, about having a positive attitude towards what you're talking about and like even we like uh, and what you said earlier like we're talking about this because we love Doctor Horrible and being able to have that kind of critical lens on it but still at the end of the day be like ah but we love it so much I think that's what really pulls this mm-hmm. show together would you agree Condra? Yes, that's why we're here. We wouldn't do it if we didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. That's okay, the right Kendra. attitude to have, and it's amazing how many people don't have that attitude. Well, I think it helps. Like so many of our fellow movies by minute producers, podcasters, we're not. This is not a living for us. We all have jobs, and Tyler and I are students. Like this is a hobby, first and foremost. Yeah. And if you're not having fun with your hobby, you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> Yeah, Condra, do a quick, uh, where can people find us so we can just kind of say it? People can find us on the Twitter, at Amateur Nerds. Follow Tyler on the Twitter, he's plugged himself enough. Uh, email us at AmateurNerdsPresent at gmail.com. Get hyped for High School Musical Minute. And yeah, until next time with more evil podcast of evil, I've been Tyler Boudreau, the podcast king of Chicago. I've been Condra, Sorceress of the Night. <laughs> Brad, what's your name? Oh, okay, I gotta come up with a name. All right, uh, I am a, uh, I am the Mist, Brad Mendenhall. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, wait, Brad, does anyone ever tell you, uh, check out the big brain on Brad? Yes, <laughs> yes, they have. Um, okay, soft. Subject, Tyler. Move All on. All right. Well, this has been the Evil Podcast of Evil. We hope you have uh, an evil day. <laughs>